Welcome to the most listened to golf in the world, the Fairways of Life show, on air, online, and around the world. With the most candid interviews, unforgettable stories, taking you beyond the ropes. Here's your host, New York Times best-selling author and Golf Channel's Matt Adams. Welcome into the Fairways of Life show. Pleasure to have your company on this Tuesday from wherever around the world you are joining us. Rocket Mortgage Classic coming up this week. Uh, coverage on Thursday and Friday will start at 3 p.m. Eastern time on Golf Channel Saturday and Sunday. It's split between Golf Channel and CBS 1 p.m. on Golf Channel 3 p.m. on CBS. Same uh, again on Sunday, 1 p.m. and 3 p.m. respectively. PGA Tour Live is starting at 7 a.m. Thursday and Friday and 7.30 a.m. on Saturday and Sunday. Radio at noontime on Thursday and Friday and 1 p.m. on Saturday and Sunday. And then there is another week and another major, right? This is This is the heart of it, and this is the time of year for all that. The PGA Tour Champions has the U.S. Senior Open Championship. Uh, that coverage on Golf Channel will start at 11 a.m. on Golf Channel. Now, bear in mind, because of all of the golf programming, the U.S. Senior Open has to work around that other programming as well. So it's going from 11 a.m. till 2 p.m. on Golf Channel. Thursday from 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. And again, if you if reference the earlier times they gave you, on Golf Channel for the coverage of the PGA Tour, and you can understand the window that the U.S. Senior Open is going off air at 2 p.m., and then the PGA Tour is coming on at 3 p.m.? Yes, well, that is because, they obviously, they are picking up the probably pregame show at that time. Uh, 5 p.m., the U.S. Senior Open comes back on Golf Channel again. Same schedule on Friday. Saturday, the first uh, couple hours are on Peacock, and then at 1 p.m. on NBC a Sunday, the first couple hours on Peacock from 11 a.m. and then 1 p.m. on NBC. Uh, the Live Series is in Valderrama, Spain this week uh, on the CW app on Friday at 1 p.m. and Saturday and Sunday at 1 p.m. on the CW. So we are extremely grateful to be joined by Mark uh, Levenstein today. Mark's an attorney at Williams and Connolly in Washington, D.C., He's been a partner there for more than 30 years. He has a heavy background in antitrust law, business litigation, and sports law that spanned four decades. He graduated from Harvard in 82. He's been involved in various landmark lawsuits in the world of sport. He worked a huge antitrust case about the world of professional tennis in the 80s. He represented the RNA as the lead antitrust attorney from the late 80s through the 90s. Uh, over the past 35 years, he's taught antitrust in sports law at five different law schools in the District of Columbia and Virginia. He's a co-author of a leading sports uh, law casebook, and it's important for all of us to have an understanding of what's at stake now, bringing an expert on like Mark to provide clarity and add context to an incredibly complex matter is vital if we're to have any real conversation about the sport we all love that is the game of golf it's an honor to have mark checking in again on the program today mark thank you for joining us pleasure to have your company uh i wanted to jump in with something with you straight away with uh, the saudi royal family and the public investment fund their efforts to to form a union between the pga tour the dp world tour their own live golf uh, and the public investment fund. The broad question I have for you to start with this morning, Mark, is why?
apparently Marquez frozen, but as soon as we get him back, we're going to be able to jump right back into that your, question um, as well. Oh, Mark, here we go. Yeah. Yeah, now, I'm not sure if you heard the question that I asked you, Mark. The question is, this proposed union, an umbrella that sits above their respective tours between the public investment fund from the Saudi royal family, the DP World Tour, and the PGA Tour, and included in that, under that umbrella, would be Live Golf as well. The big question I have for you is, to start, why? Well, the PGA Tour wants to continue its monopoly. They want to have control over golf, and they want all the top players to play in, I thought they wanted all the top players to play in the same tournament. So every tournament would have all the top golfers. That's a little unclear because it hasn't been decided the rules under which those live tour golfers would be allowed to play in PGA tour events. Uh, when, when you say that the PGA tour wants to continue its monopoly, how are you defining that? Well, again, they might argue that the um, masters, the open championship, the U S open are the big events and therefore they don't have monopoly power, but, but you need to start by defining the market and the market would be, um, you know, elite professional golf. Uh, they might claim the Asian tour and some other events that are, you know, are all competitive in the, in the world of professional golf. But um, I think the, yeah, the best viewpoint would be that they control the events with all the top professional golfers. And there've been lots of um, antitrust cases over the years that have been willing to define markets based on, you know, the top level of the sport, whether it's championship boxing or it's, the National Football League, or it's um, you know the highest level of professional basketball. But in this case, the Department of Justice is involved in investigating whether a monopoly exists. To that end, Mark, what's the objective? What do they hope to accomplish in, in what they're doing here? The Justice Department, or what does the PGA Tour want to accomplish? No, the Justice Department. Why are they getting involved? Why are they jumping into golf? Why is this of national concern? Well, the Justice Department has been looking at golf for a bunch of years, and I think historically the staff of the of the um, Department of Justice or the FTC have had an interest in bringing a case against the PGA Tour to do something about this, but, but it's never happened. Um, they've allowed golf to continue with um, – you know, the PGA Tour controlling all the major events other than the the, uh, the Grand Slam events. And they've sat back and watched while the uh, uh, the DP Tour became, you know, the European Tour came under the PGA Tour's control. When it used to be independent. Um, I, you know, they have decisions based on what's the, their sources. They find that it's worth their time and effort. And politically, how it would look if people are complaining about the the big tech industry and its control over various aspects of uh, commerce, whether it's smart to spend their resources focusing on golf, but how that would look. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, that's a very good question. Is it smart to spend their resources looking at golf? Is, is this something that is of that level of concern? Um, it's appearances. And that's the question. I don't know what's going on inside their heads. But before the merger took place, or whatever you call this transaction that's, that's really supposedly just a three-page framework right now, um, when they were approached, when LiveTour comes along and LiveTour is complaining that they're being limited because of the PGA Tour rules, I think one of the factors they're taking into account at that point in time is, well, there's a lawsuit going on. 
The Live Tour has big time lawyers and lots of money. And so it's going to be litigated in the courts, same basic standards as the Justice Department would face. So why not just let them do it and see what happens rather than spending the DOJ's resources? In addition, did they want to be seen as coming in to bring an antitrust case arguably in support of uh, the Saudi government? Um, now it's a different situation because the Saudi government would be on the other side. They'd be part of the agreements that are being challenged and they've agreed no matter what happens to this transaction that the lawsuit will go away permanently. So it, it's changed the landscape for the Department of Justice. Mark, you used the word politics a moment ago, and it, and it was interesting, too, that the timing of this DOJ announcement of this investigation also seemed to coincide with the administration's efforts to forge closer ties with the Saudi Arabian government, clearly for, for oil. Uh, is, is there any chance that there was any connection to that? Uh, I don't believe that the the um, State Department or the or the um, executive branch's interest in connecting with the Saudi government um, is a concern. When, when I talk about politics, I mean, how does the Justice Department look if they're bringing an antitrust case about golf? Um, that's what I mean about politics, you know, in Which terms of does this appear to be a proper use. And when Congress is looking into it now, also Congress has expressed an interest. So it's and it's been a bit of bipartisan interest from Congress in looking at this transaction. Yeah, and I want to get back to you on the on the congressional part first, but before we go away from this this, this subject of motivation of various parties, uh, you you have just defined what what you said was the motivation of the PGA Tour to to quote to continue its monopoly. I'm curious about what about the this this sovereign fund, the public investment fund. Why did they choose that? Yes, going forward. We're better to be a partner with the PGA Tour than to engage in this this uh, golf holy war. Sorry, I'm having some internet issues here. Yeah, again, Saudi fund was. Um, did they want to have a pro golf tour? Is that is that really what their objective was, or was there to be part of the world of golf, um, part of sitting at the table with all the corporate sponsors of golf and, and being viewed as a leader in the world of golf. Um, you saw Qatar or Qatar, however you want to pronounce it, um, basically involved in bribing FIFA in order to become the um, World Cup presenter in 2022. That was a one-time event though, right? You had the, the whole world focus on soccer and, and Qatar in 2022. Now that's over. Um, this would be a way to have a government on an ongoing basis involved in a major sport um, connected to the United States and other countries that are all involved in the world of golf and involved with all the corporate leaders who are sponsoring those events. Um, the lawsuit itself, I don't know what their damage would be. I don't know what they were going to try to show because they would have to show that the conduct of the PGA Tour cost the money when they were designing this tour with an objective from the beginning, I assume that they would lose a lot of money for the early years. So how much additional cost they would really have. Um, and again, the, the relief that they primarily would get from the lawsuit of the PGA Tour would be to uh, loosen restrictions so they could continue to operate the live tour. I don't know how important that was to them as opposed to um, sort of helping their international standing by having them seen as as leaders in the world of golf. It's hard for me to buy that 
the kingdom of Saudi Arabia desired or needed to improve their standing in, in the international community relative to golf. My, my suspicion would be that there's a bigger play here, uh, whether it's to bring tourists into the country down the road or what have you. So let's take it. Let's cast a wider net, if you would allow. Whether it's their investment in Newcastle in the Premier League, whether it's their hosting of Formula One, uh, the the massive offer that they made to to Lionel Messi. Why is the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia seeking to get involved in the world of sport on a global basis? Well. First, I'm not sure I'm the expert to to, to talk about that issue. Um, this is not my specialty. But um, the PIF, as I understand it, was created to diversify the investments of um, Saudi Arabia outside of oil. So the, the basic concept of the fund was to invest in other things um, all around the world. Um, has the ability to... Um, you know, um, globalize your country, um, put you in a position where you're in the conversation around the world, where you're viewed as a, um, you know, a corporate citizen of good standing in countries around the world. I mean, Qatar has clearly spent a massive amount of money in the United States in the sports world trying to, um, you know, make Qatar a, a country that people know about and consider mainstream. Um, I'm, I'm not sure what you know, all their objectives are, but this whole concept of, of sports washing to distract the attention from your civil rights record and all those sorts of your human rights record. That's the speculation that's out there, but I can't speak to what exactly was in the heads of the, the Saudi Arabian government or the prince who's leading the PIF. Yeah, fair enough, Mark. It, 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 to this point, too, and I, and I realize that, that you're not speaking for them, uh, I'm just seeking to 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 tap your mind in terms of uh, who you have represented over the years and, and what motivations could be accordingly just through your experience and your wisdom. Uh, to that point, at what do you have any sense uh, when you when you're dealing with, with whether we're talking about litigation, whether we're talking about investments at large, whatever the motivations are? I'm curious about the return on the investment here. And at what point? Would someone look at all this and go, we're talking about investing billions of dollars in this sport. And how possibly can the game of golf give a return on the investment of billions of dollars? Is our little sport really that important? Well, um, again, I don't know what the investment fund with the PGA Tour is going to do. But there's been lots of talk about, from my understanding from Jay Monahan, that he wanted to expand the um, scope of the PGA Tour and its business. So that might involve buying golf courses. That might be involved, um, you know, developments around golf courses. I'm not sure the scope of what this new business venture is talking about doing, but it's much broader than just producing PGA Tour events. Uh, when you mentioned Jay Monahan, uh, he has implied that due to the cost of litigation, due to the cost of increased purses, due to the way that the PGA Tour had to fundamentally change how they operate from a competitive standpoint and the costs uh, relative therein, 
uh, and, and I'm not quoting his exact words, but paraphrasing, he said that if the weapons in this war is money, we cannot compete. It, it, in your view, Mark, how much of a liability was really there on the part of the PGA Tour? For example, uh, Commissioner Monaghan mentioned specifically spending $50 million a year in legal fees. Does all of this add up? I don't see how he gets to $50 million, but again, I don't know what bills he's getting from his lawyers. But even if you're assuming an average lawyer at $1,000 an hour, um, that's an awful lot of time for a one-year lawsuit to spend $50 million. But but more fundamentally, I think the higher cost to the PGA Tour was in order to compete with the Live Tour, they had to dramatically increase player compensation to reduce the number, to limit the number of players that switched to the Live Tour. I don't think the biggest cost of this event was the litigation. I think the biggest cost of this event was um, facing competition for the first time in, in many years for player services. Mark Levenstein is a legendary sports attorney, uh, giving us some insight into everything that's going on right now in the world of golf and very much in the world of legal machinations. We'll talk about the fact that the PGA Tour, the public investment fund through Live. They are no longer in legal entanglement that we know of. But what does this mean for what they're proposing on the other side and its likelihood of being allowed to take place? All of that will be weighed after this. Relax. Easy now. Find your happy place. The PGA Tour Superstore. It's all in the hips. Where every swing is possible. Just tap it in. Yes! (laughs) Find all the latest gear, apparel, and personalized club fittings. Is this goodbye? We've only just begun. Shop with the pros at Golf's Happy Place, the PGA Tour Superstore. In Ireland, golf is more than just a game. Come and experience our world-famous Lynx courses and our world-famous Parkland courses all set alongside world-famous scenery and visit our world-famous historic sites. And while you're here, enjoy our world-famous hospitality. Fill your heart with Ireland at ireland.com forward slash golf. It screams. It tracks. It's soft. It reacts. It is the Bridgestone Tour B with a game-changing reactive cover designed to spring faster off your driver and stick longer to your wedges. Try Bridgestone's Tour Bs, the Tour Ball reinvented. The Gen 6 Iron is a culmination of everything that we have learned as a team, the absolute best golf club I've ever hit. It's something special. Say hello to the new PXG Gen 6 Iron. The longest, most accurate irons we've ever made. They go higher and farther than any iron that I have hit to date, and they're so easy to hit. Super excited for the consumer to try this. They're going to love them. PXG, nobody makes golf clubs the way we do, period. Baseball? Nah. Football? Done it. I think I'm going to go after the PGA Tour. Bo, you're going to need the right equipment company. I think I got that. You know Tour Edge backs all their clubs with a lifetime warranty. I know. They ship all their premium custom clubs in 48 hours. I know. 
all their premium clubs are hand-built in the USA. I know. You know, Tour Edge has won 35 times out here. Guys, I know. Pound for pound, nothing comes close. This is the Wiz. It tracks your swing in real time. Got it. One, zero, one. Gives you feedback in real time. Instead of guessing, I get the direct feedback. The Wiz have really helped me to keep that consistent swing. You can go out there on your own and just hit balls and it'll fix your golf game. Transition on plane. The Wiz, sold exclusively at thewizgolf.com. Welcome back to the Fairways of Life show. Mark uh, Levenstein is our guest, legendary sports attorney. Uh, so, Mark, when you first came on, you said that the PGA Tour wants to continue their monopoly. And, and I, I, that, that phrase continues to resonate with me. Is there not, by then, the same comparison, precedence, if you please, a monopoly in any other and every other major league sport? Yes, I mean, that, that's sports is a different kind of place. It, it's a strange world. Um, so, for example, if you remember the American Football League in the 60s was competing with the National Football League. And when they got where the AFL started to be of sufficient stature to be considered a real competitor, the two leagues wanted to merge. And no industry would be allowed to have the two competitors merge to a monopoly. Um, so they went to Congress and Congress actually amended the Sports Broadcasting Act of 1961 in 1966 to specifically authorize the AFL and the NFL to merge um, because otherwise it would be a clear antitrust problem. Um, it's just unusual in the world of sports, as soon as a competing circuit, a competing league comes into existence, fans, instead of saying, this is great, we have two competitors, we have creativity, different strategies, different products. We can, we can see what innovation each competitor brings. Instead, they're saying, I don't like that this athlete who's on this circuit or this league isn't playing against my favorite athlete in this league or this circuit. When are they going to have a Super Bowl? When are they going to have a playoff? When are they going to merge? Uh, I want to see all the top athletes in the same events every week. Um, and it's it's just kind of amazing that that's the view of the public often. Um, while in any other industry, if you had two competitors and they said they wanted to merge and only have one, you'd say that's absolutely not allowed. Relative to the action that Congress took then for the benefit of what became the NFL in the early 1960s, in this case, we have Senator Blumenthal of Connecticut that appears to be against this union and and what's confusing to me mark and i wonder if you could give me some clarity on it is that senator blumenthal refers to the pga tour and i'm quoting as a cherished american institution close quote which i would presume to mean that he is seeking to get involved through congressional hearings uh, in order to protect this cherished American institution for the betterment, betterment of the American people. Yet at the same time, the Department of Justice is investigating, based upon antitrust concerns, the same cherished American institution. Uh, is, is it optics here? Is it, is it political bluster? Or can you give me some sense of what's going on behind the scenes? Well, um, 
there are different objectives, right? One issue is whether the PGA Tour would maintain its monopoly position. The other question is whether a Saudi government is going to be investing in uh, an American sports institution. So those are different issues, right? Those are different concerns. And some things you're hearing from the players are when this first happened, when the Live Tour came into existence, the leadership of the PGA Tour sold the players, at least the ones who didn't go to the Live Tour, on the idea you have to turn down this money because you can't do a deal with these people. They're unholy, they're the devil, they're whatever they describe them as. And the players bought into that. They said, well, I'm willing to not take money in order to sacrifice my values and, and what's right and wrong. And then the PGA Tour leadership came and said, hey, we made a great deal with these guys and you should like it. It's a great deal for you. And they're sort of stunned by the whiplash of, wait a minute, these are people you said we could never, ever deal with. And that's why we had to stop this tour. Now they're making some business deal that you like for your benefit or for some reason and or because we can't afford to fight them. Um, we should now accept their money and make a deal with them. And that's been a, a bit uh, troubling to a lot of the golfers. All right. I, I, and I, I, don't, I would like to get back to the golfers and, and what's troubling to them, but I'm, I'm still interested in Senator Blumenthal then. You said that Senator Blumenthal appears to be concerned that Saudi Arabia is getting involved in golf. I've heard some people phrase it as taking over the game. Is there merit in the Senate getting involved in what possibly could happen with these hearings? Well, when he talks about a cherished American tradition, he's not talking about, I'm worried that this merger will cause um, a monopoly over the global world of golf and it will lead to lower compensation for players. That's not what that sentence is about, the cherished American tradition. Um, so it's just his language suggests he's more concerned about um, international affairs and, and who's owning the tour. Um, Congress clearly has uh, a place in these kinds of issues. The, the antitrust division gets its power to investigate and do what they do because of the Sherman Act passed by Congress. So the antitrust laws are, are Congress's province. They can modify them. They can. So it's clearly a place for him to, to be involved. But he does seem to have a different agenda than the Department of Justice does. He's not saying... Um, uh, I want to make sure the Live Tour continues to compete with the PGA Tour. He's saying, I'm concerned about the uh, PIF's involvement in the PGA Tour. Isn't there any, any grounds for an accusation of hypocrisy at the very least then, Mark, where we're talking about a country that we have active bases in, that we're actively trying to court for the purpose of, of uh, energy insecurities that exist globally, et cetera, and yet their involvement in the game of golf is something that would trigger the, the, the special subcommittee on investigations. Again, pro sports leagues have always had concern about foreign investment in U.S. leagues. There's always been questions raised when, you know, an NBA team or, uh, you know, right now there's an investment in the commanders and the commanders are, wait, who, who is, I'm sorry, Saudi's buying an interest in some pro sports team. Is it the commanders that they just announced? Uh, yeah, I've, th I do understand that they have an interest in that. Yeah, and but they're, they're pitching it as, don't worry, it's a non-voting, non-controlling, it's simply a financial investment. So it's not, a, it's not just in golf that there's a concern about foreign investment and whether you know, some foreign country will control our, our sports institutions. It's, it's a, 
it's an ongoing question that's been raised over the years. Right, which, which, as far as it concerns the PGA Tour, uh, in accordance with the framework agreement that uh, was leaked apparently online, which uh, I'm not sure if you've seen it, but I read through it in its entirety, it's quite clear that the PGA Tour would still retain uh, control over the decisions, material decisions at the very least, that they make relative to the sport uh, in at large. Uh, does that make any difference at this point when that goes before the subcommittee that things start to get revealed and they go, okay, we can see where this, where this is going or will again, it still feels to me like there's a political bluster involved in this. Sorry. Well, there's always political bluster when you talk about something like this, because it's hard to imagine what statute Congress is going to pass, right? Remember that that's how they can act. They're the legislature. They can't order you not to do this. The justice department can, but they are, or can bring an action in court to stop it, but they can't. And I just don't know what statute they could possibly be planning to introduce um, that would restrict. Now they do have weapons. They are talking about taking away the PGA Tour's nonprofit status. But other than that, I can't see a statute that they pass that prohibits this transaction. So it, it really is about hearings and drawing attention to it. And probably um, if they don't like what they read or what they see, or the testimony they hear, it would be to pressure the Justice Department to, to get them to bring a case. Legally, Mark, how difficult is it to protect one's a nonprofit status? Um, well, they have a special status. I mean, normally it's pretty clear rules about what a nonprofit is and what a nonprofit isn't. I mean, um, this is just a different area. The whole area of sports leagues has been um, – a confusing one about nonprofit status. For a long time, the National Football League had nonprofit status, but in fairness, it was really an effort to avoid the double taxation. You now have limited liability companies that don't pay tax that um, instead pass the tax responsibility on to the owners. Um, the, the issue of the National Football League at that time was um, all the money we make, we're passing on to the NFL owners and they pay taxes when they get it. So we should be considered a nonprofit that caused people to get all upset. And so the NFL, as I understand it, you know, um, relinquished their nonprofit status and, and pays taxes. But um, to the PGA Tour, it's an important issue because they do have um, money they keep in, in their stores and they don't want to have to, you know, make $100 million and pay $40 million of it to the government. Uh, Mark, I'm curious to go back to something that you mentioned, as I promised you that I would, when we talk about the players and – there is there there are emotions involved in this uh there there i forget the exact phrase that Rory McIlroy used i think he said he felt like a sacrificial lamb uh, given the fact of of the fact you have represented players over the years as well what is your reaction in terms of how players whether we're talking about live players whether we're talking about dp world tour or whether we're talking about pga tour how do you sense that they should feel right now well, the PGA Tour historically has managed to, in my view, pull the wool over players' eyes by basically saying to them, this is your tour. And therefore, when a competing tour comes along that's going to offer you opportunities and compete for your services and increase your compensation because of the competition, you should help us destroy that competition. A strange message, but it's resonated over the years. Um, from Jack Nicholas on down, the players felt some ownership of the PGA Tour, even though they don't own it at all. And they have helped stop events like Greg Norman's historic attempts to create 
a competing tour. Um, and they've agreed to allow rules for the PGA Tour that have made it virtually impossible to create a competing tour. The only reason the Live Tour was able to come into existence was because you had an owner with what seemed like unlimited funds willing to lose massive amounts of money sufficient to pay a player not just to come play in their event, but to perhaps give up his right to play in the PGA Tour and maybe even the, the you know, the um, the Masters and the Open, if you don't qualify for the under the world golf rankings for those events, you know, forever. Um, so the thought that anyone would ever come along with this kind of money was was hard to believe. So the players should have said initially, in my view, this is competition. This is a great thing. The one overlay, which the PGA Tour used to convince the players was look at who the owner of that live tour is. And you should take that into account and you shouldn't be involved because of who the owner is. And so lots of players refused to go. Some players went. Um, the players who refused to go gave up massive amounts of potential money. I mean, we're talking, you know, golfers being offered $100 million to just go and join the live tour with no requirement that they perform well. Um, and they feel like they gave that up. And now they're being told that maybe they shouldn't have because they could have played and taken $100 million and then come back and been part of the PGA Tour. But that hasn't been resolved either. There's still, from what Jay Monahan had said to the players, my understanding was he's still talking about, in effect, punishing the players who went to the Live Tour by requiring them to give back some of the money the Live Tour gave them. I just don't know where that's going to shake out and if he's going to be able to, um, to follow through with that. From the standpoint of how things shake out, Mark, and, and your vast experience in the world of sports law, given the fact that we're, we were having this discussion about the Department of Justice, given the fact that we were having this discussion about the special subcommittee on investigations and Senator Blumenthal's uh, heightened interest in, in this potential union, what does your gut tell you in terms of the likelihood that this will actually go through by December 31st and of this year, that they'll actually be able to structure an agreement between the, the Saudi Arabia's Royal Family's Public Investment Fund, the PGA Tour, and the DP World Tour? Well, the PGA Tour has smart lawyers, and they've been talking to the Justice Department throughout this process. So I'm assuming the PGA Tour is getting advice from its lawyers that we've talked to the Department of Justice, and trust me, they're not going to challenge this. If, if that isn't the advice they've been given, I don't know how they're proceeding on this course of action. And if the Justice Department doesn't stop it, um, then I don't see why it doesn't go through unless the players decide they don't like this proposition. And, and getting the PGA Tour players to all get on the same page about anything is, is hard to imagine. Um, the trick is, I don't even know what the deal is. I do know certain things from what's been said, that the PGA Tour will take control of the Live Tour and can shut it down. I don't know. That would presumably have to be worked out. Um, Greg Norman seems to think he's still moving ahead with a, with a Live Tour, including now bringing in concepts of promotion and relegation for golfers. So, um, and... You know, I don't know how the PGA Tour golfers are going to feel when the negotiations start happening about the terms under which the Phil Mickelsons and the other Live Tour players are going to play in PGA Tour events. But 
there's enough money here that unless the Department of Justice is going to stop this or the PGA Tour golfers are going to say, we don't want to be a part of this, or the PGA Tour golfers say, no, no, we want the Live Tour to continue to exist. I mean, one possibility would be they say no to the deal, but the lawsuit's over. So if the lawsuit's over, then arguably the Live Tour continues and there's competition in the world of golf and you have your choice between the Live Tour and the PGA Tour. Um, but um, it sounds like the Saudi Arabian government has enough money that people will put behind them, at least the people in the business, the golfers and the tournaments and so on, will put behind them any concerns about which government's involved. And I would bet they'll find a way to, you know, make the Saudi government pay a little extra and make everybody happy because that usually is the solution. If everybody gets paid, they shrug and say, I'm better off financially. I'll take this. Um, the problem is down the road, you know, the PGA Tour, I assume, will start to reduce some of the generosity it's been giving to the players in order to keep them as part of the PGA Tour um, and keep them from going to live golf. But, but that remains to be seen. That aspect of the money suggests that the means justify the ends. But at the same time, Mark, in, in your experience, when you have this massive amount of funding coming in from a third-party source, regardless of, of who that source is, but when you have that massive amount of money, there are many in the periphery of the game that are saying that players now are finally getting the type of money that they deserve where others are saying, no, this is completely making the marketplace bloated and it's not a reflection of what the golf marketplace is prepared to pay other than from this one unique source. Is there a risk in that? Um, well, first you're going to see a shift, right? The live tour doesn't create as many jobs, right? I mean, the PGA tour has had big fields, a lot of those golfers don't matter. I mean, a 64 field or 128 field. Um, and so the guys who are, you know, desperate just to get their PGA tour card, they'll be paying attention and watching and saying, are they going to now start having smaller events where all the money goes to the top players? And there's been a shift in the PGA tour where all of a sudden they're giving out money to the top players based on their social media following, not how well they do on the golf course but because the money's going to Tiger Woods or Rory McIlroy, who people think are leaders, evidently the golfers are okay with that. But I do think down the road, the players ought to remember at the end of the day, the players have much more in common with each other than they do with anyone who's the employer. They don't have a union. And so they don't always think this way, but whoever from the Saudi government and the PGA tour at the end of the day would rather play the golf, pay the golfers less and get them to play in all these events. Um, and that's going to be an economic pressure moving forward. And right now they have leverage because there is a competing tour out there and there are abilities to say no to this deal and try to keep the live tour alive and keep competition alive and demand changes from the PGA tour. Once this deal's done and it's in place and whatever money's been distributed has been distributed and now we're moving forward, the question is what control will the players have to make sure they continue to get what they're being paid now and that it increases in the future. And um, that leverage may all go away once the live tour is no longer.
What's fascinating with all of this, Mark Levenstein, is I'm, I'm trying to understand the various elements to it. And ultimately, what I'm hearing from, from the totality of your comments today is that at the end of the day, it is probably going to come down to massive sums of money. And massive sums of money tend to quiet uh, dissenting voices. Did I summarize that correctly? Yeah, the only wild card is the Justice Department. They're the only plaintiff right now. I mean, theoretically, the live tour golfers could bring a case if when this shakes out, they're told you have to pay $40 million to rejoin the PGA Tour or something. But the question is, where will they come up with the money and the resources to pay the lawyers and the expert witnesses and all that to fight this case? Um, that's unclear. And you know, maybe there'll be a lawyer who wants to do this on a contingent fee who thinks there's you know, enough in it for that. But that's what the PGA Tour is counting on, that the only people with enough money to fight this fight was the Live Tour. And they've now succeeded in, in making that lawsuit go away. And so if they're confident that the Justice Department won't spend its resources on this, Congress isn't going to pass a statute that uh, stops this transaction. So if, if they're sufficiently confident they can get this past the Justice Department, yeah, I think they'll, they'll move money around to the extent necessary. They'll make side deals. They'll, you know, Rory McIlroy and Tiger Woods are um, extra invested in the PGA Tour because of their new golf venture. So... Are they going to be willing to try and stop this event when they're in business with the PGA Tour and and you know the PGA Tour can find ways to change the nature of that deal to make them happy? There's all sorts of ways you can move money around to keep anybody who's a problem um, copacetic with the new deal. Mark Levenstein, who is a partner with uh, Williams and Connolly in Washington D.C., he is a legendary sports attorney and has been for decades. Your insights are fascinating and very much appreciated, uh, not the least of which is the massive amount of time you've given us once again today. Thank you. Happy to help. Have a great day. And you as well. Fairways of Life show is presented by the PGA Tour Superstore, the number one golf retailer in all of the land. More than 60 big, beautiful stores now spread out from coast to coast and more on the way. I think the next opening is in Raleigh, North Carolina, and we will be there live for that. Uh, you can check out everything that the PGA Tour Superstore has to offer just by logging on to PGATourSuperstore.com, where you know that you can shop with the pros and find your happy place. I guess, hello world, huh? <laughs> and with one subtle hello, Tiger began an amazing and unthinkable career. I've done it for 20 years now with, with Bridgestone. It allows me to play an aggressive style around the greens, and it's allowed me to win a lot of tournaments. Bridgestone Golf, proud to be part of your journey. Boyne Golf provides the ultimate world-class golf destination with 10 championship-caliber courses spanning three resorts. Centered in Michigan's northern Lower Peninsula, the courses are the products of some of the game's masters, including Robert Trent Jones Sr., Arthur Hills, and Donald Ross. From the all-inclusive vacation packages, elite instruction with the Boyne Golf Academy, tournaments, and so much more, Boyne Golf truly offers an unrivaled Michigan golf vacation experience. Just log on to boynegolf.com. This is the Wiz. It tracks your swing in real time. Got it. One zero one gives you feedback in real time. 
Instead of guessing, I get the direct feedback. The Wiz have really helped me to keep that consistent swing. You can go out there on your own and just hit balls and it'll fix your golf game. Transition on plane. DeWiz, sold exclusively at DeWizGolf.com. Easy now. Find your happy place. The PGA Tour Superstore. It's all in the hips. Where every swing is possible. Just tap it in. Yes! <laughs> Find all the latest gear, apparel, and personalized club fittings. Is this goodbye? We've only just begun. Shop with the pros at Golf's Happy Place, the PGA Tour Superstore. Say hello to the new PXG Gen 6 driver. This is the driver. It is absolutely fantastic on performance, distance, on looks, on feel and sound. Beyond forgiving. I am supremely confident that when a golfer hits our Gen 6 drivers, they are going to have some of the best golfing days they've ever had. PXG, nobody makes golf clubs the way we do, period. Zero Friction introduces the Wheel Pro Push Cart Golf Bag with its revolutionary three-in-one design, supportive legs that spring into action, a comfort grip handle with three locking positions, accessories for the modern golfer enhanced by seven pockets for more storage, and removable all-terrain wheels which slide right into place. The new Zero Friction Wheel Pro Golf Bag checks every box for every golfer. Push, carry, or cart, the decision is yours thanks to Zero Friction. Head to ZeroFriction.com today. Welcome back to the Fairways of Life show. Oh, that was actually absolutely amazing with Mark. Uh, the, amazing on many levels, not only his insights, because you have to, have to take into account where he's been, what he has done in the world of sport. Uh, he was involved in major litigation in tennis, and, and oftentimes uh, golf is compared to, to tennis in terms of competition and, and uh, player compensation, et cetera. Uh, but the amount of time that he gave us is amazing as well. Well, I, I don't even remember what he get when he was talking about his calculation of his of, of estimating the the cost of a you know top tier attorney, Washington D.C. based or otherwise. Uh, I don't know how much he just gave us, Don, but a thousand dollars an hour is what he said. That's what he said when he was breaking down the dollar amounts uh, that Jay was referencing. But he was he was referencing an average. Of course, Mark is not that. He's probably significantly more than that. And when I was yeah. speaking with him on the phone earlier this week, I think the number he gave me for, I think he was sort of referencing sort of the best attorneys in the country, and it, that number was over two thousand dollars an hour. Was the number he was giving me when he was we were talking again just about like how could that fifty million dollar come up? What, what how, you know, does that make sense? How do you get to that number? And he was sharing some of those numbers with me. So. I mean, I don't, I'm, I personally, I'm speechless, completely speechless. And I'm extremely, um, proud to be associated with this program. I just, and all of you watching and listening, you, you just, I sounds kind of like weird and boastful, but I I just, where, where else, where the hell else are you going to get this? You're just not going to get it absolutely anywhere. And for Mark to be as transparent and like you said, giving with his time and his insight. Well, he didn't hold I mean, back is, on what he was saying. 
this is not a social media uh, commentary. This is not a, a three-minute interview on CNN. Uh, this guy knows exactly what he's talking about. He is like the preeminent authority on what's going on here in, in sports. I mean, you mentioned the stuff that he did with tennis. He was involved in all of that. He's written, you know, published books. This is his realm. And he was not, I mean, he's talking through a, a neutral lens. Yeah, he literally and wrote hard the book, to find that the right case now. law book on sports law. I mean, he literally wrote it. And it's just, he's, all of that, all of it is incredible. It's just extraordinary. And your questions are incredible, Matt, and his answers are concise. So, like, every answer he gave was like a little diamond, just exactly to answer your question and what, to would, provide would clarity. Some of, the thing, some of the things that he said that stand out to me was when I asked him about the players and how they should feel, and, and I'm, I'm quoting, he said, uh, that that they had the the wool pulled over their eyes, right? Uh, he was he was talking about having a partner with unlimited funds and the fact that that money ends up making everything better. The fact that players are asked to uh, to would you sacrifice your values over what's right and what's wrong? Uh, it, it just some of those different areas where he was talking about, and it was very interesting. Because when he first came on and he said, "No, they want to maintain their monopoly," his words. Yeah, right out of the gate. <laughs> right out of the gate. 98-mile fastball right out of the gate. But then when pressed upon it relative to, okay, that's a, that's a strong assertion. But when pressed upon it by comparison to other major leagues, other sports, then it was a concession of, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's where we in our American society, from government all the way down, it's where we allow them. Yeah, PXG's I mean, new Gen he, 6 golf clubs are out, easy to hit, blazing fast, beyond forgiving, outstanding distance. They'll help you hit it long and right down the middle, lower scores and have more fun. Experience PXG's game-changing quality and performance by scheduling your Gen 6 fitting today. PXG.com or 844-PLAY-PXG. Okay, Dom, I'm interested now. What are you hearing from the people uh, what kind of reaction are we getting to what just took place? What am I not hearing is the question. So my question of the day, prior to the lawyer just sitting down with us, do you believe the PGA Tour and the PIF are being transparent about all of this? Or are they holding things back? I think the answer will be unsurprising, and it is excruciating. It is 94% no. <laughs> so nobody thinks, and you know, Everyone feels like I mean, they don't there, know what's going on. In fairness, though, there's 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 other sides to asking a question like that. In any negotiation, do you know while negotiations are going on, all of the is is there full transparency? I can assure you that when you're negotiating to buy a house, that the neighbor next door, the nosy neighbor that wants to know everything that's going on with everything, doesn't know all the details at that time. So when you're in the middle of a negotiation to say, are they being fully transparent? There are many different levels that that can be interpreted upon. Are they being transparent with their own constituency? We've been told at the time the players don't know. Well, it could be because we all don't know because they don't know. We saw the framework agreement because it was leaked. I read through every word of it. It is remarkably consistent with what Jay Monahan and other officials have said publicly is contained therein in that agreement. So from a standpoint of transparency in reading the framework agreement, 
I did not find anything in that framework agreement, save for the fact that I didn't realize that the agreement is set to expire on December 31st. That's why I used that date with Mark. That agreement is set to expire on December 31st so that each one of them could go back to their regular due course if they so choose, if they don't have a formal agreement in place by that time. That's a relatively short period of time to put together the agreement of this scale. But that was the only thing that I found in that agreement that I otherwise didn't, in fairness, already know about. And I'm not saying that from a perspective like I got information that that everyone doesn't have. We all have the same info, right? And we're all searching for the same answers. Well, based upon the framework agreement, the answers that we have are the only answers as yet that exist. Other than that, you're talking about negotiations. And I, for one, do not expect transparency from the perspective of knowing what's going on in a negotiation while it's actually in, happening. Oh, all fair. Uh, I'm going to read through a bunch of comments here. There's a lot of stuff coming in, as you well know. I'm just going to try and get as much as I can in. And, Matt, you, we can pause here and there to, to allow you to comment. The only thing that I wanted to say, which I think was interesting, this is my general takeaway from listening to him talk for 40 minutes, which I think is crazy, and that is that and maybe this phrasing is a little bit off, but it's, it's, it's crazy to me to think that sports as a whole seem to be above the law. I mean, on more than one occasion, you saw Mark almost like shrugging his shoulders like, well, the law in this situation doesn't apply to sports leagues because the fans are rabid and crazy and they want what they want. And so the country just it's almost like the law is looking down at the fans and going, nah, right, we'll, we'll, we'll allow it. <laughs> And and Mark said more than once in the interview, he's like, yeah, you can't do that anywhere else. But in the NFL, it's okay. On the PGA Tour, it's okay. Major League Baseball, all right, whatever. <laughs> so it is interesting to, to think that, I don't know, I guess sports, it's okay. Uh, all right, so here we go. Lots of stuff coming in here. Forgive me, I'm just going to sort of read. Um. Why is it wrong for the PIF to be investing in sport? Many national funds exist for investment purposes. The PGA Tour is losing sponsors, losing star players, losing viewership, and they still have to finish the twin castles they are building. They are in financial trouble, in my opinion. What's wrong with having capitalistic viewpoints? Like Jerry Maguire said, show me the money. Of course, oh, that went too fast. Of course, global golf can return billions. Many sports have done it, but it requires vision, real vision, across the globe. The PGA Tour is seriously myopic. Saudis want to soften the internal power of hardline religious people, and sports is a great way to do that. It's not to do with international politics. This is internal, not U.S. Mm. Also, I think uh, this is Saudis looking after the Saudis. Uh, the Saudis have planned to build many golf courses in Saudi Arabia. I, this is, uh, again, this is coming in from Derek, Nobody, Paul, uh, Cam McMaster, Greg. We appreciate all your comments, MB3, MBT3. Um, I'm just reading because there's so much here, folks. And, again, we really appreciate you guys being involved in the conversation. This is a holistic conversation. We, are all, we all should be a part of this conversation. And um, we appreciate your willingness to allow us to – sort of have this platform and bring us all together to talk about it. Uh, G. Willis says, it seems by definition of the merger or the union that the PGA Tour are not trying to maintain their alleged monopoly. Was the initial primary objective to end all active litigation for, for mutual benefit? Paul writes, 
Cricket has been transformed over a few decades into a multi-billion dollar business by a smart vision. Live is visionary, a different format that attracts a different market, so the PGA Tour tries to kill it. Live is the IPL cricket of golf worth billions. That's, their, that's the main cricket league again. Uh, at some point, well, maybe we can get someone on to discuss cricket. I've heard a lot of folks talk about how uh, cricket would be a very good uh, sort of benchmark for golf to follow. I don't know anything about cricket, Matt. I'll admit nothing, absolutely nothing. But I've heard that in – I've seen that in a lot of places. A lot of folks have been commenting about it today, and otherwise uh, that might be something um, worth looking into. Uh, Dan writes, if they truly merge, would it not be against the law to penalize the live golfers? Seems that could be viewed as retaliation. Uh, Matt, if you want to jump in here quick, just give me some of your comments about what I'm reading here. I can continue reading. I mean, it's an, it's an endless supply of comments here coming in, So, uh, and we appreciate it. Uh, my, my comment to, to that is that I have continued to be confused when language is used to say they're going to punish the players that went to live presumably to punish the players for a lack of loyalty to the PGA tour uh, in a free market society where people are free to, to take jobs elsewhere. If, if it's a better opportunity to better themselves uh, and, and I'm going beyond people that are judging, putting moral judgment on this. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a person that makes a decision to go to a job because it's better for, better for them and their family financially. Uh, you know, maybe maybe other considerations should be made in your mind. I'm just talking about the decision to do that. But in this case, the people who made that decision, the people who did that, ultimately put into operation factors that have resulted in this union that everyone involved in is telling us is going to be for the betterment of the game of golf globally, not just at the professional level, but at every level. The, the Saudi Arabian uh, program that's equivalent to, uh, roughly equivalent to, but just to give you an example, the first T program in the United States is called Let It Fly. And it's specifically mentioned in the framework agreement as one of the beneficiaries of, of, of this moving forward. And that's talking about a grassroots growth of the game. Okay, for better or worse, you can roll your eyes if you want to and say you don't think it's going to happen. You have every right to doubt. I'm just telling you what, what the facts are and let you, let you take them in as, as you see fit. So the facts as I see them are that an upstart league began that was incredibly well-funded, unlimited funds, to use the words that Mark just used in, with us. And through that creation... And through a lot of heartache along the way because of the litigation and the battles and the accusations and the bad blood and the bad press and the surely you jest between the two parties. Ultimately, apparently, what their objective is at the end of all of that is to build a new entity. And again, you judge it the way that you see fit to judge it. I'm not trying to influence your judgment on this, but according to what they have told us, that the game is going to be better and stronger, better funded and better positioned for the betterment and growth in every way. Bearing in mind that currently the PGA Tour is a charitable organization, and that charitable organization is part of raising over $4 billion a year towards the benefit of charities. Right? It's not all the PGA Tour. It's the entire golf industry, but the PGA Tour is a huge part of it. When these tour events come into particular cities, they have a massive impact uh, upon their community. 
It is, at the very least, millions and millions of dollars, and that does impact and change lives. So if at the end of the day, we're looking at some new entity, regardless of your feeling better or for worse where, where the fundings come from, but this new entity is incredibly well-funded, and the new entity flourishes as such, and the game benefits, meaning that players are, get, are getting paid more money, presumably that charities are making more money, etc. If all of that is the end result of all of this, I don't understand how any terminology can be used explicitly or through implication that a player should be punished for a decision that they made when the decision ended up, all said and done, benefiting the game at large. And how one would use language to say that someone should be punished if, in fact, what you're trying to do is make amends for the player that didn't go and therefore didn't get that massive influx of money And therefore, because that player didn't go and didn't get that money, well, surely it's got to be someone else's fault. Not necessarily. Because the entity that we were told, the white hat, black hat, good guys, bad guys, the entity that we were told you cannot go to for a whole variety of reasons is now your partner. So I I, I scratch my head and I say, Where's the grounds for punishment? Because a player left to partner with this other entity? You're partnering with this entity. So that's the part that I I still don't get. that, That doesn't make sense to me. I'm okay with the idea which I suspect is what's really going on, aside from, I I have this, I have my own suspicion, is that it really isn't about punishment. What it's about is making whole. And if you have, say uh, Mark used the term $100 million, if you have a player that otherwise could have signed for $100 million, generational changing wealth, and again, I realize there's people out there that are rolling their eyes and going, it's still just a percentage of what they already have. Maybe it is, but again, I don't spend other people's money. I'm saying $100 million is $100 million. I don't care who you are. I do believe that they can find mechanisms, whether it's from the PIP. I said PIP, not PIF. Whether it's from the PIP, that maybe it gets funded more, and maybe those players are allowed some mechanism to say, and again, it comes down to rationale and fairness and reason, and to say, okay, you didn't go. So because you didn't go, you allowed the PGA Tour to be in a position where they could do negotiations whereby the game benefits, the PGA Tour benefits, players at large benefit. Right? Because if players could have looked into a crystal ball and said, oh, I see where this is going to end. They're all going to become one. And the guys who left for tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars are going to stuff that in their pocket and they're just going to come back again. You would have lost everybody. Right? What reason would anyone have to say, oh, I'm going to hang around? No, I'm going to go take the $100 million. And then I'll see you in a year and a half. 
So I do think as a matter of fairness, they can find a vehicle to say, you know what? We're going to try to make this whole. They're partners with the people. Now they know who the offers were made to. Open up the ledger and go, okay, I see this player was offered $5 million to go. We'll find a vehicle where that player can get it back over the next however many years it takes to, to work it out. That I'm okay with because it's, it's their organization. It's their money. They can do what they want. But the idea that someone should be punished for what they did, that I'm not, that I don't understand yet. That, that, I, that I truly don't understand yet. That's the piece that someone would have to explain to me how and why. What else, Don? I mean, I, I could talk forever here, Matt, about all the stuff coming in, and we appreciate it. Um, feel free to cut me off whenever you want, Matt. There's an, <clears throat> an endless supply here of folks commenting. And, again, we appreciate it. We love it. We uh, um, encourage it. Telling players where they cannot play. Um, last China band says. <laughs> Probably on, on, uh, on Comcast Internet, freezing up. <laughs> Talking about the beginning of the interview with the lawyer. Um, I agree. I'm amazed that you featured Mark Levenstein. So insightful. Appreciate that. We obviously agree. World golf could be huge. Uh, never full transparency. If this deal was a positive for the PGA Tour, I don't believe Jay Monahan would have needed hospitalization. There are aspects of this deal that we won't know for a while. Obviously, that was uh, from Joseph there, he's, he's, uh, which we haven't commented on. He's commenting on the fact that there was a medical event for Jay Monahan. Yeah, we all don't know what waiting. the medical event was. We don't know if he went to hospital we're still or not. Awaiting, no we're still awaiting news about that. We have not heard um, the deal, you know, what's going on there or an update. We just know that he's in recovery right now. Um, and as soon as we know anything, obviously we'll pass it along to you. Steve, great unbiased interview. You are one of the, the, one of the few who has always looked at this fairly. Appreciate that. <clears throat> Dominic, turn up your mic, bro. <laughs> am I low? Andrew, am I low? I'm okay, right? <laughs> oh, it sounds all right. Yeah. Andrew says in my ear, I boosted him a little bit. <laughs> we're, all, we're all working together as a team here, folks. Um, we appreciate you guys. Uh, r- really, what are the chances, David writes, of this deal, of what, that this deal will happen? Uh, Matt, I think Mark uh, responded to that at the very end of the interview and essentially said, uh, he believes that the PGA Tour lawyer, lawyers would not be going down this path if the DOJ lawyers had not been telling them sort of this will probably be okay. So my my take, not sure about you, Bab, but my my take, Matt, was that Mark basically said he expects this to go through. Yeah, that right? would be my impression as well. Uh, my sources also tell me that that the relationship between the Department of Justice and uh, people that are representing the the other parties is a good relationship and that and that's uh they feel like things are going in a direction that is positive for them what mark was trying to give us was was more of a more profound uh, more professional and and a legal basis on it and which he said while the whilst that investigation is actually going on to actually come out in the middle of it and say and this is the direction that we're thinking about going with this major investment from they wouldn't have taken that step unless they felt they were on solid ground to do such. So uh, there could be wrenches thrown into this thing, but as far as the congressional investigation, the subcommittee, uh, special subcommittee on investigations, he didn't feel as though they would pass legislation, which would be what they would have to do in order to thwart it. He didn't feel as though they would pass legislation specifically for this. 
Um, and he even conceded when I asked him the question directly is how much of this is just political bluster. And he, he noted that some of it always is, uh, which which yeah. is interesting as well. So um, it, it sounded to me based upon his professional opinion, which carries massive, massive weight, that it's more likely than not that this thing will move forward. Yep. Uh, D.A. writes, Matt, you are bang on again. Who knows what he was talking to there? Maybe it's everything you say, Matt. Um, Strider writes, Matt and Dom, loving your show from Jamaica. I love that. That's great. Hello, Jamaica. Uh, this channel has great discussions, Paul says. I like that. 100% this deal must happen for the PGA, especially that is why they reached out to Piff. Uh, Live can be F1 and the PGA Tour can be NASCAR. I'd be more interested in talking about how you mark your golf ball than all this speculation. It is interesting. A lot of this is a lot of all of this is speculative, which is a little annoying. But answers will come in time. Uh, always does. Uh, Jay Hawker writes, uh, money always talks the loudest. Derek says, Dom, IPL is huge. That's in reference to my cricket comments earlier. Uh, and yes, I've also heard that that is for sure. Uh, Matt, you are spot on. No punishment. That was stupid. Uh, break a contract. Now, bear in mind, just punished, to that point of punishment, uh, uh, please understand my, my position on this. I think what we're talking about is semantics. And I'm not sure who used the word punishment. I'm not sure if anyone actually used that word yet. I know it's, it's, it's getting thrust into the dialogue. But if someone used it, I think it was the wrong word to use because that just doesn't, it still doesn't make any sense to me. And I think to a reasonable person, it wouldn't. Okay, fair. Uh, the players that didn't go have lost twice, NBT3 says. <laughs> uh, from a contract law view, finding the players was always on weak ground taken to a court, question mark. Well, the PGA does not want this stuff in any court. They have demonstrated this. Um, and then there's some more comments coming in about cricket, et cetera, et cetera. Um, they just want NBT3 rights. They just want all the, the to play in the majors. Talking about the players there. Live teams will become a part of the PGA Tour as soon as 2025. You heard it here first, he said. That's Kane's Well, it, it, that's an interesting one. Who, who was that from, Dom, that last comment about the uh, teams? Kane's out group. Because in the framework agreement that I read through this morning, it specifically said that they will endeavor, uh, my word, not theirs, that they will endeavor to make the team competition a part of whatever they do moving forward. They were not specific in my interpretation of that legal document that they intended to protect live as an independent entity, although there was some intimation that that, that would happen. It, it was not clearly defined in, in my interpretation, but it was clearly stated the intent to investigate whether team golf makes sense uh, moving forward. Well, uh, yeah. Yeah, okay, that's fair. I, I mean, I, yeah, all right. Sorry, my brain is going a thousand directions. I mean, this is complicated and interesting. And I, I will say this, though. I think that the – whether it gets dissolved or not, I'm talking about the Live Golf Tour – they're going to steal this new entity or the, the golf moving forward is going to steal the, the good stuff from the tour that has happened in every sport in history. So for example, uh, the ABA, I believe was the first to in, implement the, uh, the three point line and the NBA was like, Oh no, we can't do that. That's, that's silly. And then when they disbanded it, right. And they merged some of the teams into the NBA, all of a sudden the NBA had a three point line 
because they liked what they saw and they wanted to implement it. But when they were competing, oh, that's stupid. That's a, you can't use that. That's a, we would never do that. And then they merge and then they steal it. So to think that the PGA Tour wouldn't take the things that they like from the Live Tour, I think is silly. I think there's no question look, look, the, that whether the, the Live Tour the continues PGA Tour, in its, For better or for worse, Dom, the PGA Tour has shown that they are willing to make changes. They've tweaked the, the FedEx Cup for example, multiple times over multiple years. They have a team competition that's, that's ongoing right now. Uh, so I, I, I would tend to believe that, one, because there's interest in it, uh, and two, that that is a concept that is definitely working for Live Golf. Uh, I could see that being integrated either independently in its current form or uh, deeper in terms of, of across leagues. So yeah, I, I would see that as something again, just just my interpretation, but I would see that as something that would last. I'll just read a few more here. Cause there's so much coming in. We appreciate it. And we've got plenty of time to discuss this in the weeks and months ahead. Um, I think it was clear that Liv was a competitor. They weren't competitive from a profitability standpoint or an American viewership standpoint, but they were a competitor and now there's no competition. The live players took a risk. They deserve the reward. Live teams must be global to work, not on, not on the U.S. only tour. The framework specifically states the tours will continue with teams, as Matt, you were referencing. Um, why does the PGA Tour not want a competing entity out there? Question mark. Derek says, team golf is great. <laughs> so there's a lot, Matt. There's an endless supply of stuff coming in here. Again, we really, really appreciate it. I, I we want this to be a, a a conversation because that's what it is. We all love golf. I think in the end, we all. I mean, I certainly want what's best for golf. I want to see, I want to see Brooks play in the Masters, and I want to see Roy play in the Masters, and I don't want anything to upset that. I want to see all of it as a fan. So this is this is fascinating as it continues to unfold, and and um, I'll just say as the producer Matt that I feel that we're very lucky to be able to get someone like. Mark Levenstein to join us on the program. And I feel lucky that we have you as a host to guide the ship. Uh, no one better. So I, you know, that interview was just extraordinary. And I, I just hope that more people watch it. I recommend everyone watching to share it because you're not going to get a more neutral, more expert opinion than from someone like that. And it, in its long form like that. So, I mean, that, that's who, if your friends don't understand what's going on out there, you need to send them that interview because that explains all of it and from, you know, right down the middle. Well, excellent job hunting down Mark uh, Levenstein for us, uh, Dom, so he could provide us with his insights. And along those lines, we should tell the world now that tomorrow we're going to con- – yeah, we're going to continue down this road. You want to give us some – give the world some insight into who our guests will be tomorrow? Uh, sure. What I would say to tomorrow, and you're going to want to join us tomorrow because it's going to be as good. Tomorrow, we essentially have a media mogul joining us on the show. And his expertise is going to be sort of the other side of this coin that Mark can't speak to. And that is the media landscape side, the streaming rights, uh, the viewership, the understanding of how to make money and how to make things profitable on the media side of this. Uh, and it's going to be an extraordinary conversation. And again, same level of expertise on the other side of that coin. And I'm sure, Matt, that you'll be asking all the right questions and his answers are going to be 
no doubt fascinating. So he be, he will be with us tomorrow. So join, you can join us here tomorrow again, 8 a.m., and he will be on. And again, it's going to be real. I'm really excited about it. I really am. As, as yeah. excited as I was today to have Mark join us. I am as well. Hey, Dwiz is golf's latest wearable technology. It's golf's first swing monitor and swing modifier all in one, like a launch monitor, but Dwiz is for your golf swing. It tracks your swing in real time, delivers a groundbreaking layer of swing data, helping you understand the cause of your swing issues. And its swing modifying features are based on neuroscience and gives you immediate feedback through a slight electronic pulse, alerting you to precisely where you need to fix your swing. And a seamless wearable tech it is. It can be used anywhere with or without a club in your office or backyard, on the practice range or a simulator or on the course. Go to dewizgolf.com to learn more. Tomorrow we will learn more from yet another expert Thank you very much, folks, for your company here on the Fairways of Life show. If you are not already, please subscribe to us on YouTube. Just find Fairways of Life, and you can subscribe right there. Please share this information with all of your friends. Thanks for your company. It's an honor. Bye for now.